Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Good, good, good morning and good to worship with you. We're glad you're with us. If you're a guest with us, if you're new with us, we're glad, especially glad to have you with us as well. And we want to invite you to open up in your Bibles uh, to uh, Matthew chapter 5. It's on page um, 969 uh, in the Bible that's there near you. And uh, if, if uh, you're newer with us, we just want to let you know we're, uh, one of the things that we do here at Paseo del Rey is we want to hear and understand what God has to say. And so we spend a lot of time in studying His Word. And, and our, worship, our worship and our actions really come out of understanding who God is and how He speaks into our lives. And so this morning, uh, we are continuing a series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, It's a great sermon that Jesus preached, and uh, we're taking some time here several weeks to study this sermon. And so today, um, we are in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. So Jesus is the preacher, and uh, here's what Jesus has to say. He says, Um, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery." Oh, boy, how did I draw the short straw? You know, Carlo, if you were here with us last Sunday, Carlo uh, was complaining about the section that he got to preach last week on adultery and lust, and didn't he do an awesome job? I mean, Carlo knocked the ball out of the park. And, and so I, I think Carlo ought to preach this passage, too. So let's just kind of invite him to come right on up here. Now, I, I want to say a couple of things. Is is One is... Um, I am really aware, as you are, that all of us have been affected by divorce. There's no, there, I don't think there's a person in here who um, has not had a family member or a close friend or them, they themselves that have suffered through divorce. And, and so whether today you're here as a, and you're a Christian or today you're not a Christian yet, um, I want to say uh, we have empathy for one another because all of us are in the same boat together, right? And, uh, and divorce is, is always sad and it's always painful and, and it doesn't go away, right? That, that painfulness doesn't go away. And so as we open God's Word together, as we unfold God's Word together, I want to do what we always do, and that is I want to speak with clarity at what God's Word says, but I want to, I want to, I want to speak it with compassion and with care and understanding that, that we're, we're all together in this, and we're all in, the, all in need of God's graciousness, right? So, so that's, that's where we're going to start. Um, I also want to say that I'm not going to say, that in the Bible, divorce is not like clear-cut. Um, it's not like, 
You can go to one passage, and here's step one, step two, step three, step four. Here's rule one, two, three, four. There's nowhere in the Bible that you're going to find that. Um, and so the, the, it, when we study the Bible on, on the issue of divorce, it's complex, and it's difficult, and it's messy, just like real life. And so, um, so I'm not going to tell you everything the Bible says about divorce today. One, because of time. But two, because I don't know everything the Bible says on divorce. Now, I've read every verse, but I don't know what, what all of it means. Now, in 1979, I became your lead pastor. And um, yeah, some of you weren't even born yet. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. In 1979, I knew everything the Bible said about everything. Some of you were here and remember. Uh, I knew everything the Bible said about divorce. I, I could pull out my papers from seminary about divorce. I had charts and diagrams and, and Venn drawings, and I had everything about divorce. And in 1979, I knew pretty much everything the Bible said about anything and everything, right? But the more you know, the more you know you don't know, right? That's the way life seems to happen. And I'm going to teach you what I believe, like we always do. I'm going to teach you what I believe God knows. But I know far, I was a much better pastor in 1979 because I knew everything, right? And so I want to teach you, though, what I believe the Scriptures teach. But before I do that, I want to ask you a question. And, and, and the question comes from the title of a book that's, by the way, in your bulletin. Um, I want to ask you a question, and it's a simple question, and it's this. What did you expect? There's the question. What did you expect? So two 18-year-olds, two 20-somethings, two 16-year-olds, whatever, two 25-year-olds, um, they see each other in a class, right? And, um, hey, she's pretty good looking. And... Uh, uh, or someone sets you up on a blind date, right? Or uh, you're working in the same office and, 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 and you get each other's attention and someone, someone introduces you and you exchange phone numbers and you start to text. Or back in the day, you actually used, you talked into that thing that you text with and, and you talked to them, you know? And, and then you, you started to flirt with them, right? And then you ask them out on a date, right? And then uh, you started uh, falling in love with them. And then you started kissing a lot. And if you were in school, you started missing class a lot. And uh, then one day you pop the question, right? Now, those two people in that class, that biology class or in the office, they were both sinners, right? Both of them were messy, broken sinners. And so they start getting, getting to know each other. They come to this time. Finally, they, one of them asks the other to marry him. And then they have this thing that breaks their father. It's called a wedding, right? And it, a wedding costs like a zillion and one dollars. And it's over in a flash, right? And part of the wedding, part of the marriage ceremony is the couple says something to each other. And what they say, it's just two words, right? What is it? I do, right. Now, when they say I do, they're still both messy, broken sinners, right? Both of them still are, right? That has not changed. So like, what did you expect when you got married is my question, that your marriage would be like heavenly, like every time you wanted to have sex, 
She did too. It's okay to laugh. We're in church together, all right? I mean, did you really expect that? But how many arguments have you had in your marriage because of that? The reason was you expected that to happen. Or, or like when you went on your honeymoon and that her, uh, honeymoon bliss, did you expect that romantic, wonderful, she can do nothing wrong, you can do nothing wrong, to continue on through the wiping of noses and the wiping of other parts of the body of your children? <laughs> Behinds, right? Did you think that would continue on, right? Did you ever think that some things that happened to that person before you married them, before you knew them, trauma or difficulty that you knew nothing whatsoever about and they maybe have either intentionally repressed it or it just got repressed and so now you've been married seven weeks or seven months or seven years or 47 years and it begins now to resurface into your marriage what did you expect you you shouldn't have married a sinner (laughs) that's all there was to it right but since All of us that are married or have been married, we've all married sinners, right? And we're sinners. Did you expect that your your things that you you were irritated about would grow into anger? Of course they do. Did you think that the other would only ever have eyes for you? If you expected that, you're crazy. We wander. And, and we're, 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 because we're sinners, we, 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 we have this tendency to continue to sin. We, the, this, and dis, the dysfunction or the addiction or whatever these things are. And, and, and by saying those two words, let's say them together again, I do. You're all married now, by the way. <laughs> by the state of California, the power invested in me by the state of California. You're all married now. Did, did you... Did you think that God was going to suspend mathematics because you said, I do? Did you think that one sinner plus one sinner would equal zero sinners? God didn't suspend addition when you got married. In fact, he, he, he multiplied it. One sinner plus, two, plus another sinner equals like a million sinners, right? Because you have all this, this conflict going back and forth in your relationship. And, and so, so, no one, what did you expect? What did I expect? So God speaks to us. And, and, and we're going to talk today about divorce, but we're going to talk even more about marriage. Because without marriage, there's no divorce, right? And we want to talk, and Jesus, in fact, does this. We'll see um, as we look, dig into God's Word today. So let's take a look here. Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, verse, chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus, as he has said before, and he's going to say a couple of more times in this sermon, it has been said. In other words, this was the, this was the talk of the day, the mantra of the day, uh, the, the slogan of the day. It has been said, Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Certificate of divorce was just a document that made the divorce legal. And, and Jesus says, this is what you guys have heard, that, that when you divorce your wife, now you got to remember in that day, it was mostly the, men's, the man's right to divorce. The woman in that day uh, had virtually no uh, freedom to divorce her husband. So um, uh, we'll, we, we, that'll be another sermon on another day. Okay, So anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, as Jesus' hearers heard that, 
they immediately went back to the verse in the Bible that teaches that or that says that. Now, you need to know that there is not one time in the whole Bible where God commands us to divorce our husbands or our wives. You're not going to find that in the Bible. But some in Jesus' day was, was taking a passage from the Old Testament and making it sound like that God was commanding people to get divorced. And what they were thinking in their heads as they heard Jesus say this, they were thinking of the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Bible. So stick something in Matthew 5, because we're coming back, and go to the fifth book of the Bible, uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24. Now, as we, as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 24, I want you to notice something, that it is an if-then statement. It's an if-then statement. So it is not a command to be divorced, but it says, if there is a divorce, then this. So it's, it's, it's not a command, but it's, it helps us understand what happens when it is the case that there is a divorce. So let me read it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 24. And this is all of Jesus' hearers. They knew their Bibles. This is what they were thinking. And so he begins the sentence with this if. Verse, verse 1, Deuteronomy 24. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. Uh, you might want to underline that, something indecent, because we're going to come back to it. And he writes her a certificate of divorce doesn't command him to write a certificate of divorce. If this happens, and he gives it to her, and he sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house and becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then his first, her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has become defiled. Okay, so it's not a command, right? It's if a, mar if a divorce happens, here's the procedure to follow. Now, there's, there's three things that I want you to see in this passage in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 24, verses 1 to 4. So something indecent. So there's three things I want you to see. This is going to be really important. If some indecency or something indecent is found in her. Now, we're going to need to explore that. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But, uh, but you see, also see a couple other things I want you to see in the passage, that if, if a divorce occurs, then there's to be a legal um, a document there. That's the certificate of divorce. And then here's what this passage is about. This passage is not prescribing divorce. It's describing what happens in, in divorce. And one of the things that we learned, the point of this passage is not about a certificate or not about the reason for divorce. The point of, the, of this passage is found down in verse uh, 4. Then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again and she has, because she has become defiled. So if the wife and the husband and the wife, they divorce, and then she goes and she remarries someone else, and they get divorced or he dies, she is not to go back and remarry the first guy that she was married to. That's the point of the passage. That's, the, that's what, what Moses was writing about in this passage. Now, for our sake, what in the world, uh, it, 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 this passage assumes that in some cases, 
a man and woman may, may, not must, they may be divorced. And in what case? That's what we need to discover. It's, it's there in verse 1. If she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. Hebrew word is erwa, er, erwa. What does erwa mean? There are libraries written about what erwa means. That's one reason I can't tell you. I can't tell you with any def, definiteness. But in Jesus' day, there were two major schools of thought. Now, whenever someone says there was two major schools of thought, that means there were two major schools of thought with a million sub-schools underneath each of those, right? You know, it, we do not live in a binary world in this sense, right? You know, it's not either this or either that in many cases. Some cases it is, but in many cases it's not. Uh, you know, the, the Republican Party does not all believe the same thing. The Democratic Party does not believe all the, all the same thing. Maybe there's major tenets, but then there's a million varieties, right? And in Jesus' day, this is the way it was. There were two rabbis who had done their homework and done their studying, and they were the proponents of these two major schools of uh, what this word indecency meant. We need to find out what this word indecency meant. Two rabbis who lived a generation before Jesus, Shammai and Hillel, and they developed a theology, they developed each of them theologies of what this word in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, indecent meant, this indecency, what it meant. Now, let me talk about Shammai first. Uh, Shammai taught that the indecency was that would allow for divorce is if I'm engaged to a woman and that woman says to me that she's a virgin and we get married and I discover she's not a virgin, that's the indecency that then would allow for, not command, but would allow for me to give her a certificate of divorce and divorce her. This is what Shammai taught, and he was the leading proponent of it. So he had a very narrow, a very narrow interpretation of what the word indecency meant. Now, uh, others would add to that in Shammai's, uh, in Shammai's camp that uh, that's true, but also if I'm married to a woman and she has sexual relationship with another person, or animal, and, and, and I just want you to tell you that that, that was the case sometimes, um, bestiality, that if she had sexual relations with someone else, that then was also, uh, it would be indecent. That's what this word erwa would mean. Um, and so very narrow scope. Now, Hillel was a little bit different. He was, so you guys are the Shammai, you're the very narrow ones, and then you guys are the group of Hillel. Now, in Jesus' day, you saw a lot more T-shirts and bumper stickers around town that said, I'm with Hillel. He was a lot more popular. The reason was, is he was a lot more liberal or a lot broader interpretation of what this word erwa or indecency meant. And so he said, that the indecency was, you guys would say, that the indecency was that would allow me to give my wife a certificate of divorce and to leave her would be if she were to burn the bacon. Right? Right? Oh, I, I meant the ham. Burn the ham, I meant. I meant. Or burn, uh, burn the shrimp. It doesn't matter. Okay, burn the toast, right? So if your wife didn't fix breakfast for you the way you thought she should, According to Hillel, who had a very broad, very wide view, 
you could divorce her. He said, if your wife talks too much, I see some of you unbuttoning your shirt saying, I'm with Halal, you know, uh, and, 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 and wives doing the same saying, look, I got this bumper sticker, I'm with Halal. My husband talks too much. Uh, or if your wife, um, if your one, one, one of the sub uh, schools under Halal said that if you found you were married to woman A and you suddenly saw woman B and she was more attractive that was an indecency about woman A, and you could divorce woman A so you could marry woman B. So you, you, you see, kind of sounds like the state of California to me, doesn't it? For any and every reason, right? We're, we're just incompatible. There's no fault. Um, and so this is, the, this is the world in which Jesus lives in uh, when uh, this, 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 these broad, these radically different interpretations of what the indecency would mean. So let's go back now to Matthew chapter 5. They're all thinking about Hillel and Shammai, and they're wondering, where does Jesus come down? Is he very narrow or very wide on divorce? And so Jesus says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the world Jesus is speaking to. And what he's telling us here in verse 32 is that marriage is, such, is of such an intimate relationship, the most intimate of all human relationships, that it is, it is permanent, it is indelible, you, you, you can't break it easily is what he's saying. And he, Jesus is saying, when the two become one, when the two become one, there's only one thing, Jesus says, that breaks that oneness. And it's when one pulls themselves out of this oneness relationship, and then they go looking around town for another, and they become one with them, that then severs that original relationship. But here's what Jesus wants, to, wants us to know, is that even when that happens, it's repairable in his power, that he can make dry bones live again. He's not giving an order, is he? He's not giving a, 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 an order there in verse 20, 32. He's just saying that this is the one exception that he would allow, that, um, that, that, that it's, it's, it's not incompatibility that we divorce over. It's not, I find someone more attractive. It's not that we've grown out of love for each other. It's this, he says there is this one case that when this happens, then there is permission, not command. But he says, let me see what I, what, I, what I can do here in this relationship. He says, this sexual immorality. Now, what is sexual immorality? Well, in some ways, if you have to ask the question, you've already lost, right? You know, it's like there used to be a definition in the United States of pornography is, was when you see it, you know it. And that's kind of gone by the wayside, right? But that used to be the definition of pornography. When you see it, you knew it. Well, it's the same way with sexual immorality. Yeah. And, and if you're arguing, well, we didn't have intercourse together, you've lost the battle already. 
It's to be sexual with someone that you're not married to. That's what sexual immorality It's this very broad word. And I, and I wonder, and I'm not sure about this, but I wonder if, if, if addiction to pornography would not be in this class of this world, word sexual immorality. Now, pornography is not new. <laughs> it was around in Jesus' day. It just wasn't on your iPhone, right? It just wasn't so accessible. But it was, they have paintings and, and um, por, uh, sta- por, pornographic statues that, that people use. I mean, this is not new news. And I wonder if addiction to that would, would, would be constituted under this word sexual immorality that Jesus uses here. Now, this is... This is not all that Jesus had to say about marriage. And I, in fact, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 19, uh, so just to the right in your Bible, because Jesus has a similar sermon, a little bit longer than just these two verses. Jesus didn't say things just once and then was done with them. Oftentimes, he would say them again in a little different way to a different crowd for a different emphasis. So in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus, this gives us a backstory, helps to fill in those two verses. So verse 3 of Matthew 19. So some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him, and they asked, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So in the sermon, Jesus is teaching straight out. Here people are coming to him, and they're asking him a question, and they're wanting to know where Jesus lands. Is he with Hillel or is he with Shammai? What side of the what side of the uh, of the of the river do you come down upon? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And I, I love this about Jesus. They want to talk about divorce. He wants to talk about marriage. That, that's cool. Look what he says. Haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Haven't you read that? It's in your Bible. And so they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, Jesus pivots. He says, you guys, you guys are, you, you're all, all, up, all uptight about divorce. What I want you to do is to treasure marriage because marriage is from my father. And even when marriage gets messy and broken like they do, Jesus is our rescuer. He's God's for us. I, 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 I love this. I love this in verse 4. Haven't you read? Haven't you read? You, you, know, you know that little thing that I say a lot of times is keep your finger in the text? This is where it came from. Now, I got it through my Old Testament prof. But this is where it came from. This is where it's grounded. Listen, when you have a question, go to the Scriptures. What do the Scriptures say? Haven't you read? This is an unusual word for read in verse 4 by the way. It's the word for to read out loud. There's another word just to read to yourself. This is the word that means to read out loud. Now, in the ancient days, a lot of times when they read things, they read out loud for two reasons, maybe more, but two reasons I'm aware of, is that you, when you hear, 
You're not just seeing, so that another sense is being involved, and you have a tendency for it to go deeper down in you when both of those senses are involved, for you to remember it better. And so a lot of times they would read out loud so that they would learn it better, but also they read out loud because many people were illiterate, and so they could listen in as you read, as you, as you were reading. And so Jesus, haven't you read out loud the Scriptures I just want to say this. One of the things I love about Paseo del Rey is how you, you go to the Scriptures. Sunday mornings, you have your Bibles open. You have your iPhones open. You have your apps open. And during the week, you're in the Word. And I tell you, this, I am so uh, excited about who God is going to bring you for your, ne- your next new lead pastor. And I'll tell you, what a gift it's going to be to him that you people, Paseo del Rey, are people of the Word. Who, who don't go, well, I think, or, well, this is what I wish, or this is the way we always have done it, but instead who go to the Word to discover what God wants for our lives. That is a great gift that you're going to give to your next lead pastor. So Jesus says, haven't you read that in the beginning, at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female? Isn't this interesting that, that marriage is the recipe of God, and God's the cook. So he makes the recipe up, and then he's the one that puts the pieces together, and he's the one who makes the marriage, who builds the marriage. Now, I want to also say that, uh, that and, it's a, and it's a good recipe, it's a good meal, but I also want to say that singleness was cooked up by God, too. And that singleness is a wonderful gift that God gives and that he values in his creation as well. Today's sermon's about marriage, but many, some of, several of us are, are single. Many of us are single here in this congregation, and that's a gift from the Lord as well. So it's, it's God's creation. It's God's creation. And notice also how right from the beginning, and he's quoting from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, haven't you read in your Bibles that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. A couple of things there I think that are important to say. It's, it's, it's cool that when God created man, he created, a, he created a, two that were different, differentiation. He created a male and a female. And he also created them. This, I, think, I find this kind of interesting. He created them as adults. The reason, how do you know they were adults? Well, they were, they were able to have sex together. So they were, you know, they were either young adults or adults. I don't know what their age were. But he didn't create a mother and a child. Now, he could have done that. You know, God could have done whatever he wanted. And he didn't create two parents and a child. But what he did first is he created two different people who were differentiated from one another, but who had this kind of a relationship together. And I think the reason he did that is that's the primary relationship that God has for, 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 uh, for people, is to have this peer-to-peer relationship. And in marriage, then, for these... See, he could have said, here's the model. It's mother and child. Super important relationship. Father and child. 
incredibly important relationship. Grand, I don't know why you didn't just make grandparents and grandkids. That would have been the best, right? But he decided to create two that were, the, that were different and yet the same, differentiated by their gender and yet at the same place in life because that's the primary relationship. Marriage is so, it, it's part of God's primary building block in culture. Singleness is super important in there too. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. But this marriage relationship is so incredible. And he made them so that, they, that, so that the two, there it is in verse, um, uh, verse 5, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then, he, then Jesus adds here, so they, will no longer, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, Jesus holds marriage so close. Let no one separate because these two have become one. Now, um, you know, when you first start dating someone, and you're not kind of sure how they're feeling, you know, about the relationship. And you're kind of hoping, you know, hey, I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this relationship. But, you know, you don't want to be the one to make the first move, right? Because what if it gets rebuffed on you? Then you feel like a fool, right? And I remember when I first started dating April. And I had this, uh, uh, I, I thought a couple of times about, as we were first couple of dates, uh, I thought a couple of times about holding her hand. But I was kind of nervous because what if she would have just slapped it back or something, you know? So I'm, I'm you're just going to, what's that going to, I so much wanted to hold her hand because that was kind of the first step, right? It's kind of like, yeah. So, so I was fortunate. I had a, a 63 MGB, uh, which was kind of the reason April went out with me in the, in the first place. <laughs> Convertible, you know, I had hair longer than hers, you know, the whole thing. And her eyesight wasn't very good in those days. <laughs> as well. I'm praying that it won't recover, by the way. But um, so I had this, it had a stick shift. You know the reason they make stick shifts? Not so you can shift. So you get your hand over there closer, right? So I mean, I, you know, driving along, I got this cute blonde sitting next to me and just kind of, I don't remember the first time I held her hand, but I remember one time kind of just getting over there and her, her, and her hand was over there too. Like she was yeah, that was a good sign, wasn't it? <laughs> just a really good sign. And I remember the first time holding it, just saying, yes, yes, life is good. And sh she thought I had a dollar in my hand, and I was paying it to her. But, man, life was really good then. And you know what? It's, I think what God does here when he makes two into one, it's kind of like he takes those two hands that are being held together, and he takes his divine needle and thread, and he begins to sew those two arms together, doesn't he? Just starts there at the hand, and just starts to sew, and as the relationship grows, it, he just sews more and more. And you know what starts to happen then, too? Is that she begins to grow into me, and I begin to grow into her, and our flesh. You, you, know, in a, you, you know in this picture? And our we, we become one, just kind of hooked from, from here down, right? And we're still two individuals. We're still two sinners of sinning. But God's done something wonderful. Made us into one. It's all God's work. Isn't that what Jesus says? Uh, so they are no longer, verse 6, they're no longer two, but they're one flesh. We, we, April and I left our mother and father, and we became united 
You see, marriage is public. It's, it's not secret. You don't pretend you're married. You don't play married. You get married. You, you leave. Your, and he makes us into one. And so he says, listen. He says, what, is, what does Jesus say at the end of verse 6? He says, therefore, what God has sown together, let no one separate. Let no one separate. Oh, we've grown apart. Oh, we're incompatible. Oh, she's bossy. Oh, he's always demanding. Oh, she's never on time. Oh, he's always pushing me around. Oh, let no one tear asunder. And, I, and, I, and that image, it's like, it's like doing amputation on yourself without anesthesia. Tim Keller says that divorce is like doing an appendectomy on yourself and saying, now don't move, it won't hurt. He says, you are, and, and you see what happens when we divorce, when we divorce, it's not a clean cut. Because we've grown together, right? And, and not only has the flesh grown together, but the veins and the arteries have mysteriously in God's power grown together. And the nerves have grown together. That's why when your wife hurts, you hurt. That's when your wife is fulfilled, you're fulfilled. Guys, the smartest thing you can do is make your wife as joyful as you can because the more joyful she is, the more joyful you'll be because you have been attached together by God himself. Guys, don't be fools because when you hurt your wife, you're not only hurting her, you're hurting yourself because God has joined you together. And what divorce does and why it's so painful and so ugly is because it shreds two who were one like a paper shredder. And there's parts of you that go with her, and there's parts of her that go with you, and it is all mixed in together. And it's just such a painful, painful mess. Now, I need to say to you that some of you have never been to an attorney's office but you're divorcing your wife. You're mean. You're inconsiderate. And wives the same. And you're not a one-woman man. And your eyes wander. And Jesus says, do you see what you're doing? You are tearing apart Without ever, going, without ever going in front of a judge, without ever, without ever getting a document, there's divorce in this house that is pretending that they're still married. And Jesus, Jesus says, let me in. I'm with you and I'm for you. And let me rebuild the brokenness. Let the dry bones that you have ripped apart, let those dry bones come back together. You see, he says, uh, verse 7, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus says, no one commanded you to divorce. Let Jesus come back in your marriage and in your relationship. You see, what sin does to us, 
What sin does to us is it gives us tunnel vision. And it causes us to only see our desires and in my marriage and what will satisfy me and what will make me better and, 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 and what I'm entitled to and what I have a right to and what I deserve. That's what sin does to us in our marriages. It's, it becomes all about me and me and me. It becomes about my best world now, my best world today, that I'm entitled to that and I ought to have it and my wife or my husband ought to give it. That's what our sin does to us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us this prayer, doesn't he? He teaches us the Lord's Prayer. And he has a, he has a line in there that we just go right by. We just go right by because it's so, so short. It's, it's, this, it's that prayer, thy kingdom come. You see, what, hap- what our sin does is it turns us into little dictators and tyrants in our own relationships. That it's all about me. It's what I want. It's what I need. And Jesus says, Hey, Jesus says, here's the prayer. Make your marriage all about me. Make your, make your marriage not about your kingdom and building your own kingdom and your own wants, but make it about how I want you to love your wife or love your husband or treat them. And he doesn't leave us alone in that. He says, I'm with you. And he says, this, I love this. He says, God says, I'm for you. In your marriage, two mixed up messy sinners, I'm, God says, I'm for you. Gary, where do you get that? We, we, we find that in, 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 Paul's, um, uh, or in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 8, th- verse 31, where, where Paul says, uh, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? That, that's, where, that's where I take that, that little, little idea. God is for, it's a rhetorical question. It expects a, a yes as an answer. And I want to say to you today, in your marriage, between two messed up sinners like me and, and my wife, God is for you. He's, he's not only with you and lives inside of you, but he is for your marriage, for making your marriage all that he wants it to be. He's the hope that you and I today need to turn to again. He's not against you in your marriage. He's, he's not, oh my gosh, look at the mess they made of their marriage. It's, it's kind of like, what did you expect? He says, I want to change that. And I'm for you and your marriage. That's the hope that we have today is that God is for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you you don't leave us alone in our sinfulness, in our brokenness. We are not good enough to have good marriages, none of us, but you are. And as you enter into our relationships, as we lean into you, as we Remember again that you are for us. We have new hope in the most difficult places of life, the places in marriage where there's disappointment and where there's disenchantment, where there's disillusionment, where there's difficulty, that we can have hope in you 
Because God, you are for us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.